Breakers, and welcome to the 51st episode of Project Studio Tea Break. I am Mike Senior, and I am here with international mycelium of mystery, John Witten. <laughs> Hello, Mike. Hello, everyone. Hello to both of our listeners. It is thrilling once again to be here. And I say of mystery, I mean, I have no idea what you've been up to over the past month, <laughs> which makes me think you've probably earned that tea break. In conversations normally with you and with other people, it's sort of a curated list <laughs> of what I've been up to. It's just been one thing, Mike. It's mm. absolutely just been one thing. You've been monothematic. I have been monothematic and I have been droning on <laughs> for years now about this one thing which has taken over my life. It's this Gilgamesh show, which I wish I could advertise on here, but it's just a research and development going to an industry showcase. Wow. So I can't even bully tea breakers to attend. So it is actually mysterious. It is. How exciting. Deeply mysterious and inaccessible and hopefully therefore exciting. Who knows? Like all the best Project Studio projects. It's a project that takes lots of work and no one ever hears about it ever again. No one will ever, <laughs> ever know. <laughs> Except for a few theatre producers we're making late home for tea. <laughs> no, and what's crazy, it's pretty much all good stuff. Well, yeah, it always is, isn't it? Like, I'm looking at amazing costume sketches. I'm I'm reviewing scripts. I'm writing music. Yeah. I've got an amazing team. But it is just every waking minute at the moment. Well, you'll be delighted then mm. to hear that we have some follow-up from a previous news story. Oh, yeah. If you cast your mind back to the Looks Like You Need Iceland website, <laughs> yes. which regular listeners will recall was yes, a website yes. that uh, the Iceland Tourist Board set up to enable you to record your voice through your browser, have it played out of a loudspeaker in various scenic locations in Iceland, <laughs> have it then recorded mm. with the ambient sounds of Iceland where it was, and sent back to you as an MP3. Still an incredible, beautiful, crazy idea. Just ridiculous. Absolute nonsense. Love it. But sadly, it is no more. Oh, that's such a shame. But weep ye not, it has been replaced. All right. With a new service that I think will be of even more use to you in this busy period of your life. The new service, Outhorse Your Email. Oh, okay. oh. Mm. <laughs> I feel like people do this for us. I feel like someone somewhere just does this to make sure we've got stuff to talk about. What on earth is Outhorse Your Email? Okay, Outhorse Your Email is uh, a service that the Icelandic Tourist Board have set up where real Icelandic horses have been trained <laughs> to walk on a massive-sized computer keyboard <laughs> to generate you your out-of-office emails. Oh, this is so much better than I'd hoped. Okay. There are three different Icelandic horses you can choose from. Oh, my word. <laughs> okay. Right, I will send you the uh, the first video, which is exceptional. I almost can't believe this is real. Okay, here we go. We're watching the first, the first one. Like, is this real? I need this to be real. I need this to actually happen. Well, I mean, I thought that you might doubt the veracity. I, yeah, I do, because I've been trained by this podcast as much as anything else to think that some things are just too good to be true. Well, in which case, let me just send you uh, something for you to read to the listeners. <clears throat> okay. John Whitten is out of office. During this vacation, John has outhorsed all work-related emails to an Icelandic horse called... Oh, oh, screw you, Mike. <laughs> with a brilliant name with more H's than it has any business to contain. <laughs> to free up more time for adventures. Here is Hrimnirfrajkvami's response. <laughs> And thereafter, thereafter, something I would be proud to send to any professional associate of mine. It looks like Lovecraftian. Mm. 
And the email then continues. An Icelandic horse really typed that. (laughs) Okay, honest to goodness, from next Monday, I'm not going to be on emails for two weeks. And I solemnly swear, (laughs) anyone who has the audacity to email me over the next two weeks will receive one of these. I'm going to pick my horse... Personally, I'm not going to use this one that Mike made for me. Well, yes. I mean, you've got a choice of three. Three horses? Yeah. What, what are their names, please, Mike, <laughs> now that we're playing this I'll game have, with each other? I'll have a go at butchering these names for you. God, take a stab. <laughs> you've got Litya Stjarnafra Vithaholti, mm-hmm. who apparently types fast but might take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> now, you are well-placed to assess the performance of Hrimnifra Vummi. Doubtless. Who is apparently assertive, efficient, and has shiny hair. Oh, okay. I'll take... <laughs> I have a shiny head. Well, there you go. I'm not sure if that's the same thing, but I'll take it. And the third one is Heklafra Porkelsholi, or something like that, <laughs> who is friendly and apparently trained in corporate buzzwords. Okay, amazing. <laughs> I will probably order one from all three. I think it's just wonderful. Of course, wonderfully, they did a making of video too. <laughs> oh, my word. Okay, here we go. Okay, watching the very first video of them actually typing, there was a bit of me that thought... Photoshop being what it is, this could all be CGI these days. (laughs) But what I'm seeing, listeners, is people construct this out of a huge amount of reinforced plywood, (laughs) letter stickers. We're now at step two, teach the horses to type. (laughs) They are taking this seriously. There's directors, there's stage managers. This is really excellent. (laughs) Although I'm really happy that... Even in the video, the people who are in shot in the video can't quite take it seriously. You can see the director kind of corpsing at various points. Just corpsing, yes. Oh, my gosh. They actually have a monitor connected to the keyboard, which is showing what the horse is typing at any given moment. And that's... See, that's emblematic of this for me because that is unnecessary. Yes. You could make these huge keyboards and have the horses type on them and not indulge in the huge faff involved in making them function in keyboards. You know, the joke is 95% of the way there. Why bother messing it? But no, they didn't. These are functional horse keyboards. God knows what they're going to do with them after this project. But they are functional horse keyboards that are actually inputting text. You know, everyone's talking about this concept of, like, standing up desks, aren't they? Yes. Just imagine if you had some typing to do and you only had that big keyboard. Imagine the aerobic workout you'd get. It would be full on. I mean, just replace your keyboard with one of those and you'll be doing a dance workout every day (laughs) also your friends and colleagues will be amazed at your efficiency in words yes (laughs) like honestly if those were the standard keyboards there would never be another rambly email written the words oh and another thing would never occur yes the word utilize would vanish beautifully (laughs) to be be replaced with use like this sounds great thanks for the message would just be Good. Yeah. <laughs> G-U-D. <laughs> what I would insist on, though, yes. is a bumper car-sized mouse <laughs> to match. Well, just so you can get the full body workout. That's the bit that you use your arms for. Although I imagine the equivalent to modern-day touch typists would be people who learnt to use all four limbs. It's <laughs> kind of splayed about on the keyboard, golluming, if you will. Or or, or troops who do part-time speed typing and part-time twister championships. (laughs) You know what? A troop of trained speed foot typers, each taking, say, a quarter of the keyboard, that would look exactly like river dance. Mm. (laughs) Indistinguishable. I think we've just uncovered the origin story (laughs) of a folk dance phenomena. (laughs) 
Of course, as red-blooded Englishmen both, the highlight of our calendar over the last month can have been none other than the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. Now, I wanted to ask you, John, whether you had been so busy that you had somehow managed to avoid the Queen's Platinum Jubilee concert. I put a not inconsiderable amount of effort into avoiding everything (laughs) Queen's Platinum Jubilee related. I was lucky enough to spend the long weekend in a forest campsite with a bunch of queer hippies where it came up entirely once to a loud, raucous round of booze. Um, Oh, wow. You were on the old Republican campsite then. (laughs) It's a terribly misused word in this day and age. But yes, I consider myself in this and this respect only a proud Republican. (laughs) (laughs) It's sort of difficult to share that view without finding yourself lumped in with a bunch of traitors across the pond. Yes, well, obviously. But absolutely, yes. Raucous booze followed by free-flowing booze. This was the only (laughs) appropriate response. But tell me about the, uh, the Platinum Jubilee concert. Seeing as you managed to avoid it completely, Mm -hmm. This is quite interesting because maybe I can get a fresh view about what do you reckon would be the lineup of artists? Okay. Who would you instinctively think would be there? National treasures. Yeah. Accessible national treasures. Ed Sheeran, honestly, tops the list for me. I don't think he uses swears in his music. Yeah, not often. Moms and their kids like him equally. He's homegrown and he's extremely successful. Leona Lewis Mm -hmm. was on everything like this for a while, even though I never... Yeah, neither of them were there. Yeah, you're right. Oh, okay. (laughs) Gosh. Exactly. You're going through the same thought that I did. I mean, Adele? Uh, Nope. Oh, okay. Right. Um, No, no Rolling Stones either. Was anyone from The Who or Pink Floyd? No, no, no. Paul McCartney appeared, but only speaking. Paul McCartney should have been my first guess. Okay, this, I mean... I really hope Jacob Collier wasn't there. No, he wasn't. You'll be glad to know. Thank goodness. Um, Don't suppose you're a fan of Rod Stewart, are you? I'm aware of him. (laughs) Well, he was there. Okay. In not very good voice, (laughs) has to be said. (laughs) (laughs) Duran Duran. Mm -hmm. With another British cultural icon joining them on stage, Nile Rodgers. Okay, this is the first time where I have to confess (laughs) a who? Nile Rodgers, guitarist of Chic and the guy behind Madonna's big albums and okay. who collaborated on Daft Punk's Random Access Memories. Significant figure in music. Uh, and American guy. I would have thought they'd be like <laughs> plucking the low-hanging fruit of... Yeah, of national treasures. Well, obviously, Alicia Keys. Wait, no. <laughs> so her big set wasn't a UK-specific thing. Um. Oh, I know. Let's go to the headliner. Oh, my word. Okay. Diana Ross. Okay. <laughs> I know she was in town doing Glastonbury. Is that the only reason? <laughs> this is extremely weird. Apparently, Diana Ross is a favourite of the royal family. I mean, I love Diana Ross. Was was she an all right voice? I might well look this up. Oh, we're going to look it up. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. <laughs> so, so I don't need to get her just do this on headphones while we're still recording and pretend I'm not. Like no, we can... no, 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 no. I'm going to send you a link, and I'd just like you to watch the first song she sang and watch her very carefully. Okay, I'm loading up now. Okay, now you've heard it. Does anything strike you? Well, (laughs) from the very introduction, I would put money down Mm. that those are MIDI strings. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And I know we had shots of string players. I know there are string players kicking about. Yes. Which is saying something, because really expensive MIDI strings playing that sort of thing, I don't think I can tell the difference anymore. Yeah. I wouldn't confidently be able to assert. But this sounded like Calvin Harris really (laughs) using that kind of retro sound for fun. JV1080 strings, basically. Yes. Like someone just pressed the up button on their Casio until it said strings, and then we're like, fine. And it's upsetting. Because they employed an orchestra. Because there's 
however many hundreds of thousands of people watching. Well, I mean, 12.7 million just on the BBC alone. My word. Including a 22,000 capacity crowd actually physically there. So yes, that was the first thing that got me. The second thing that got me was what I can only assume was a really masterful rework of Diana's own in-ear monitor. <laughs> Halfway through when she starts fiddling with a radio pack on her belt. Yes. While keeping the performance going. Yep. Really keeping it together exceptionally well mm. through that. The third thing, which is what I was looking for, which is what I felt like I was slightly primed for. I was looking for lip syncing. <laughs> Let me just find the timestamp. Oh, wow. Okay. If you find your way to two hours, 49 minutes and 25 seconds or something, mm -hmm. there are some mouth shapes there, which have very little to do with the words of the song. <laughs> but, and you yep. know, while anyone could be forgiven for fluffing a couple of words live on stage in front of a million people, mm. you'll be thrilled to know it doesn't affect the audio at all. No. <laughs> I mean, I hadn't planned to watch the concert at all, but I kind of got rigged into watching it mm. and ended up sitting through the whole show. And even before we we got to that point you mentioned i was like that's not a live vocal right it's too in tune it's too in time it doesn't quite match with her breathing and there's no mechanical noises and all this kind of stuff right that's never a live vocal <laughs> but the bit that blew up twitter about it was that she started blowing kisses while still apparently singing oh wait no i missed that <laughs> <laughs> well that's just what it is to be motown royalty that's the kind of skill the kind of class it's almost like circular breathing isn't it <laughs> <laughs> that specialist skill. Can I tell you what really tipped me off on the first listen? Yes. Because it wasn't the missed words. I didn't notice that. It was when she ad-libbed in between the lines. Yeah. And suddenly the level went from right up front lead vocal to <laughs> barely audible. Perhaps you're referring to the question, are you singing at 2.49.52, where clearly her vocal microphone is seriously low down in the mix, so you can hardly hear her. Yes. It's almost like you're hearing her through someone else's mic. Yeah. Uh, but this is the beginning of this wonderful little ballet that you can see is clearly going on with the technical staff and Diana Ross. I mean, you know, once I realised this was going on, I thought I'm going to go totally forensic on it. You know me. Oh, absolutely I do. I have gone through the whole thing and there is absolutely no doubt that we're hearing mostly a recorded performance of this mm. and occasionally there's some guy on the sound desk desperately trying to fade up her live mic oh, whenever no. it looks like she's doing something different. <laughs> And so like that bit where she says thank you, mm -hmm. you can tell that someone at the sound desk has gone, oh, sh she's gone off script, <laughs> fades up her vocal mic, and then you can hear it double tracking against the recording. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, of course. And then they fade out her mic just in time for her to sing another wrong lyric at 2.53. Amazing. There's another brilliant bit later on where they're kind of fighting the level and trying to fade things in and out, and you hear it fade up a bit late. Oh, wow. They see her start to say, oh, thank you, Your Majesty, thank you for your whatever, and she goes into a big, long thank you thing, and they only fade it up about a second or two into her doing that. Oh. <laughs> And then, following on from that, you get a bit where clearly the guy at the sound desk is going, now I think I've got to put a vocal mic in. And all of a sudden, the live vocals sound much more convincingly out of tune. You much know? more live. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. It's an absolutely heinous bit of lip-syncing nonsense on the most public of stages. I'm outraged by it. And I'm even 
more outrage <laughs> that the BBC then, in response to the criticism, the justified criticism of people are saying this is just a karaoke job, uh-huh. the BBC released this statement. Mm-hmm. Ms Ross sang live throughout her performance and was also supported by backing vocals in a live orchestra and choir. That's the single most dishonest true sentence you can say, I think. They don't mention the recorded lead vocal that was mostly much louder than her. Oh, that's awful. That's one of the most hideous kind of spun half-truths. Oh, I'm fuming about it. I mean, I never, ever liked Diana Ross anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now, now it all comes out. I just never liked her. What do you generally not like about Diana Ross? I've heard live recordings she did back in the day. In fact, I was doing um, the mixed review and looking back at a classic track that she and the Temptations did. And I just thought, you know, she's not that good. She's out of tune. Mm. It was Baby Love. And I was listening to like live versions of Baby Love and the version that's recorded. And all of them, she's out of tune on. I just have never thought she's that good a singer. Yeah, I mean, she's no Martha Reed. I just thought she was always massive hype and nothing else. I just kind of think, yeah, thank heavens you've fallen on your ass because I'd never liked you. So this this was validating, if nothing else. Yeah. I'm going to add my kind of little conspiracy theory addition, Yeah. by the way, which is for viewers at home, if you go to like 249.50 to 55, she clunks her microphone back into the holder on the stand, which is, of course, completely inaudible. And I think yes. gestures to the sound desk that she wants her vocal higher. Oh, right. But as she starts the gesture, you cut away to look at the crowd. Okay. So I choose to believe that another part of that ballet was her wanting to sing live. I'm glad you're putting the alternative view because I am coming out hard <laughs> negative. So I'm glad we have some balance. I mean, this is thoroughly BBC. I mean, I think we've got a future on the BBC with this kind of balance. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that changes what happened or what was delivered, nor do I think it necessarily claims that a live vocal would have been a good choice for the evening. (laughs) That's true. Only that, Diana Ross, wanted that to happen. So here's my question. Yes. You work on the BBC communications desk. Yeah. What do you say when you're caught out like this? Because I could see it potentially doing more harm than good. To say, you got us. Yeah. Although we mixed live feeds in from all the musicians you saw, the vast majority of what you heard was a pre-recorded backing track. And you all enjoyed it more because of that. But the problem is that you fall into the same problem that we've always had with autotune. Mm. You know, tuning correction is used on everything. And yet, no one comes out and says, well, obviously I tuned my vocal for the record. Because there's still this conception amongst the general public that singers should sing in tune and that what they're hearing on record should be real. And that, you know, it's fake to use this technology to tune your vocals, as if it's not happening everywhere. Everyone does it. And so it's this huge kind of Emperor's New Clothes things. Everyone knows it's happening. Everyone's doing it. No one's saying it. It's kind of like we were talking about... um recordings by a cappella groups. Oh, yeah. Because they're, you know, more than anything, it's expected that this is exactly what you would hear if you were in a room with no electronics with these four, five, six singers. Yeah. Just the sounds that they're making, which has just never been the case. No. And I think we're talking about it because of my run-in with the Pentatonix fan club. Well, yes, we indeed were. And mm. it was a lot of passionate enthusiasts who knew the band personally, they felt, versus some smug music technology expert and yeah. the engineer who'd made the album. And again, lot Lots of mealy-mouthed, not untrue falsehoods. Right. You know, saying things like, no auto-tune was used on this album when they melodyned the hell out of it, or (laughs) we don't use any tuning correction when we perform. 
Also, does that include when you're in the studio as well? Yeah. They leave the kind of true believers the space to interpret it entirely positively. Yep, there's plausible deniability. It's exactly that kind of thing. Mm. Isn't this just another continuation of this hideous thing that the avatars are doing? <laughs> you know, that as the actual supposed star of the show gets less and less capable yeah. and their contribution is slowly phased more and more out to the point where she could have just been pretty much an avatar. Yeah. You know, if they'd not used her mic at all, we would have lost very little. Yeah. If they'd had a body double there, we would have lost very little at all. Yes. So it's like, at what point do you start perpetuating something beyond its natural life to the point that then you are snuffing out a bunch of new stuff? Yep. Should things have a life expectancy so that new stuff can emerge? I mean, in answer to that question, I will just say Lion King, <laughs> Les Mis, yes. Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> Unwittingly, I may have just created the best ever segue between news items I've ever done. As sorry as I am to leave this, I, I cannot resist <laughs> the sweet, smooth call of this segue. It hit me. Well, speaking of old artists bumping out new artists, mm. the latest bunch of industry stats for the US record industry from MRC Data mm. have actually demonstrated that for the first time ever, the proportion of current songs... You know, ones within the last 18 months is the way they categorise it. Mm -hmm. Fell for the first time. Interesting. So if you were going to guess what percentage of streams are current songs in the last 18 months as opposed to older songs, what would you guess it? Digital streams of songs released in the last 18 months. As opposed to the previous forever. That's a really good question. So I would imagine normally, mm -hmm. for want of a better term, oh gosh, that's hard. I feel like there's really strong forces on both sides. Mm. You know, there's... Labels trying to push new music. Mm. It's an extremely competitive place. Oh, yeah. 18 months isn't even current top 40, is it? You know, that's, hey, remember a year ago, this band you liked released an album? No, it's a good old chunk. I think 18 months is a really good measure for the weak definition of current. Like, yeah. So the full crust of the pie, music these days. I mean, there'll be plenty of artists who have two albums in that period. But that said... I know plenty of people who listen to Spotify who won't have streamed a single piece from that category over the last year. Mm. So it feels almost like they should both have about 70%, <laughs> adding up to a total of 140%. But no, I will take a gamble because of just the number of young people who I'm incredibly out of touch with, only listening to new stuff. Yeah. And I'm going to say 65 to 70% new music, or, you know, last 18 months music, normally. And it's the opposite. Really? 70% of streaming is catalogue, stuff that is more than 18 months old. Wow. And this is a general trend they've been seeing. Mm -hmm. You know, they're coming up with various different reasons for this. It's partly because the demographics are changing. Okay. More and more older people are now getting onto the streaming platforms, where it used to be just the early uptake younger people. Right. Apparently 89% of boomers have now used streaming services. Okay. 96% of Gen X. And of course, their listening habits then dilute the impact of current hits. We're actually having a difficulty now that new music is having more and more difficulty on the streaming services, making any kind of a splash. Yes. And a really good barometer for this is that the top song in 2019 was Old Town Road. That figures. And it hit a billion on-demand streams. Amazing. In 2020, Roddy Rich's The Box hit 920 million on-demand streams. Huh. 2021, 
Dua Lipa, also the single most streamed song in the year, mm-hmm. had 627 million on-demand streams. Oh, interesting. Was that Don't Start Now? No, it was Levitating. Okay. And so there's this trend that basically the older demographic are making inroads into the market. Right. And there's a second principle potentially at work here, and that is the effect of TikTok. Okay. You know, in 2021, TikTok's own statistics said that more than 175 songs that trended on TikTok charted in the Billboard 100. Yeah. More than twice the number in 2020. So there's a big drive from TikTok, but of course a lot of TikTok dance challenges and memes and things are based on older songs. Yep, pulled from catalogue. So there's this definite drive that is basically pushing much more listening towards catalogue. It seems to me that however bad this looks on the streaming platforms, Mm. or however extreme this effect, it seems to me it must be much worse than it looks. Because we know that on demand, it's 70% catalogue. But that's only one way that people listen to music. Yeah. In terms of any hardware, CDs, tapes, vinyl you know that that is 99% catalogue. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And even the one other way people listen to music at home, downloaded MP3s. Yeah. Who's downloaded MP3s or anything released in the last five years, let alone 18 months? So (laughs) 70%, the only place where current music should be dominating is streaming. Because it has everything going for it. It it requires zero investment. If I want to check out a new band, I don't have to buy a ticket. I don't have to buy a CD. I can just click and look. It's the easiest place to find new music. And of course, the algorithms don't really help either because they tend to present more of what you already like. Right, yeah. So new stuff is less likely to appear in the playlists. Yeah. And then, I mean, you've got all the other factors as well of like that, you know, younger artists are at increased risk of copyright lawsuits. Wow. And people in the industry are less likely to listen to unsolicited demos for fear of being sued for copyright. Yeah. And the other thing is like that, I mean, we've talked about the avatars, jukebox musicals, Mm. all this hideous Dolby Atmos remixing rubbish that's flooding the market again with old catalogue. But also, there's now a trend kind of on Wall Street for big financial players basically buying as an investment vehicle Older artists' back catalogue. Oh, my word. That's horrifying. In the last kind of year or so, we've had um, Bruce Springsteen, like $500 million sale was the biggest one. Mm. There's been Bob Dylan. There's been... I can't remember what some of the other ones. But basically, this old catalogue thing is becoming an investment vehicle. Which says that a lot of people who are very good at making money are confident this isn't going to change anytime soon. Yeah, and that they're all putting money into it to preserve that status quo because they want to get returns on it. So again, more money going into old music, not into new music. It's a bit worrying. Well, it's difficult. I'm not sure. The whole thing about this is that it's easy to look at it through a kind of a slightly myopic viewpoint of looking at an artist just in terms of the music streaming. Mm. Was actually an artist's success and income and all that kind of stuff is coming from so many different... But perforce is coming... Oh, I love the fact that I just used the word perforce. Oh, perforce! You couldn't get away with that in the horse keyboard future that we're, <laughs> that we're moving towards. So this month's facepalm is slightly unusual in that it happened almost entirely in my own head. <laughs> Often our facepalms wow. are, you know, one part circumstance, one part maybe lack of preparation. Yeah. You know, but there are a bunch of interacting systems. Mm. This one, just 100% me, Mike. <laughs> 100% me. There's a purity about that. The finger of blame can point unwaveringly in one direction. It's absolutely internal to me. Like, it can point any which way and it's just all parts of me. Yeah. So... 
I was working on some music for this upcoming punk modern Gilgamesh production, which we're doing an industry showcase for kind of middle of the month. Oh yeah, fab. And I want the music to be punky and aggressive. So I've taken my references as um, Captain Beefheart, if you come across Captain Beefheart. Great. Yeah, and, and Throbbing Gristle, which is one of the first bands to declare that they had no genre. And you know, h- hilarious in that by declaring they had no genre, one of the first people to set up the no genre genre, <laughs> um, which all sounds a bit similar unless you're really deep in the no genre genre genre. Yes, um, it's a bit like free jazz. Always sounds like free jazz, even though it's supposedly totally free. There you go, I, exactly that. <laughs> um, and I pop that fairly low on my to do list because there's stuff to do like organising costumes and there's stuff to do like organising spaces and yeah. uh, sorting out scripts which which honestly I just have less experience with. Yeah. On the other hand I'm a guitarist I've played guitar for about 15 years professionally I'm not who you would call for a guitar concerto by any stretch of the imagination I can play guitar just fine. But I'm not sure I'd ring Keith Richards for that either. <laughs> <laughs> well you know what? yeah I think that's a fair statement but I can get by I've got guitar chops. Yeah. So I sorted out lighting for a while i emailed about seating and then yesterday so this is fresh off the presses i was like well look i've got a free afternoon Mm. why don't i just sit down and whack out this guitar stuff cool i can play guitar that sounds nice how hard can it be to play guitar that sounds awful well yeah i mean sure you just break stuff really really hard it turns out (laughs) (laughs) like you know i figured it was like if you just Toss a cat down some stairs. But maybe it is. And maybe catching a cat is harder than people think it is, especially when you've got an explicit urge to toss it down the stairs. I think if you're the kind of person that your cat knows will throw it down the stairs, it's unlikely to be happy about being caught by you. Precisely. So after about half an hour of making sounds which sounded like playing guitar badly, but totally failed to sound like playing guitar awfully, I went back to my reference tracks. Oh, right. And I tried to just kind of learn a couple of riffs. Yeah. And I couldn't get my fingers around them. So I started looking up transcriptions. Wow. And it's a lesson I've had to learn before, but it turns out people who are really famous for doing something, (laughs) whether you like it or not, are often very, very good at it. (laughs) Just like exceptionally skilled. Well, isn't it people like Zappa and Beefheart and stuff? They got just the most incredibly talented musicians to do things that sound broken it turns out yes yeah but you know it's not even just with the kind of dukes of um the dukes of virtuosity the dukes of haphazard (laughs) (laughs) the dukes of haphazard like country music i did a show a couple of years ago which was all country music and i was playing guitar and banjo and bass yeah and i thought oh easy i already know c g and d well yeah i'll be just fine But it turns out that people who've spent their whole careers playing country music, actually, they develop some pretty cool tricks. And this is old school country as well. This isn't some like Bella Fleck nonsense. This isn't bluegrass. This is country. And, Mm. you know, it's the tiny changes that you don't even hear on your first couple of listens. Yeah. But that strumming pattern, actually, Mm. or that variation on a G chord, which is almost impossible to finger unless you practice it very, very hard. Yeah. (laughs) you know a couple of years before that i played a wedding gig and i looked at the and this was bass i looked at the set list and it was all just sort of 60s and 70s pop yeah and i thought fine i'll learn these the afternoon before the gig yeah it's all going to be one four five nonsense and just kind of root notes for the whole bars (laughs) it was there that i learned about james jameson (laughs) legendary bassist (laughs) 
of tracks like Ain't No Man and High Enough yep. and everything else and realised that actually, even though it was long ago for me, at the time, these were people at the very top of their game. Oh yeah, legendary bass player. And so, in all of these cases, it's just led to sleepless nights and a promise to be more humble in the future. <laughs> so how did this come out then? I mean, with the Gilgamesh thing, have you worked out some techniques to do this? The rest of my day after I get off my call from you oh, right. is studying <laughs> a few transcriptions very hard, writing some variations, reducing the amount of music I'm going to be able to deliver by Monday. Yeah. You know, we'll make it work because that's what you and I absolutely do. Yeah. But yeah, even the nasty, weird stuff, which anyone would be tempted to say, my four-year-old could do that on guitar. Oh, yeah. I would say not with less than eight years of guitar tuition, your four-year-old couldn't. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. There have been many pioneering firsts in our exploration of Toast Foley over the episodes that we've done. (laughs) We have even broken out of Earth's domain to toast that could have been recorded in space. (laughs) The photos of which spread around the world, if memory serves. Well, as you would expect for such pioneering Toast Foley. Yeah? But I know what you're thinking. What would toast sound like on another planet? (laughs) As ever, not maybe what I was thinking, but certainly what I should have been considering. And fortunately, we do now have a certain amount of insight into this because for the first time, the Perseverance rover that was sent to Mars included on it not one, but two microphones. Interesting. And so they have now begun to record some things on Mars. Mars in stereo. (laughs) They could record it stereo, you're right, if they'd set them up properly. I was going to say, if they got two mics up there... It's a wasted opportunity. One of them (laughs) apparently was designed to kind of capture the launch and whatever else. Okay. And wasn't really expected to survive very much. Well, no. I think it has, but it's not in very good shape. You'd need to pop the gain down on that quite hard. One can only assume. (laughs) Just a touch, yeah. But the uh, the second one is there and it's been recording like the sound of the Martian wind and the sound of the rover trundling about. That's quite fun to listen to. Amazing. That's really fun. And and the rover spreading toast? No, unfortunately. Gross oversight. But NASA's own website about Martian sound mm-hmm. provides an opportunity for you to hear what your own voice would sound like on Mars. Because you see... Martian sound is different. Okay. You know, the speed of sound is lower there because of the composition of the atmosphere. It's about two-thirds what it is on Earth, so it doesn't travel as quickly. Mm -hmm. The atmosphere is a 100 times less dense, so sounds are much quieter and they don't carry nearly as far. And it's 96% carbon dioxide, which apparently absorbs many more high frequencies. Oh, wow. So this month's Toast Foley, (laughs) I decided to send the sound of toast to see what it would sound like on Mars. So I've sent you an audio file. The first example is on Earth, as was recorded, and then it's followed by on Mars. Oh, a lovely, crunchy, familiar, earthy toast sound. Love it. Oh, spooky. That is seriously spooky. Cool, isn't it? Yeah, like you say, there's definitely a low pass going on there. And there's there's a sluggishness to it. Yeah, it feels like that, yeah. Mike, you really do go above and beyond. I didn't know that I needed to know what it would sound like to spread toast on Mars. Mm. What Martian breakfast would sound like. <laughs> but it turns out I did need to know. And now I do. You do? What a privilege. And so, to go with such out-of-this-world toast... We have out of this world jam. (laughs) (laughs) These segues this month. On 
fire. Oh, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Cannot be beating them. My jam this month is actually a piece of software. Okay. Now, do you have any things in your production process that you've just learnt that you can go to mm. and they just make things a bit better? Yep. What were your candidates there? I have a chain of effect, which I just call high verb. And it's basically just a reverb send, which first pitches whatever it sent an octave up and then sends it through a really expansive reverb. Oh, yes. Lovely. And and then there's just like a really, really powerful um, low cut. It's kind of canned angelic shimmer, isn't it? That's exactly what it is. And it's yeah. just a little bit of that sprinkled all over pretty much everything yeah seems to me to just make everything sound nicer i mean i'm a bit that way also with the classic like harmonizer widener sound on vocals right yes you know pretty much any vocal i can add that to and i go yeah that sounds better yeah <laughs> just makes it a bit wider makes it just feel a bit bigger and and on, on that note just like double tracking yes for anything sustained and melodic yeah even if it's nice and subtle well the great news is that I can now add another thing to the list. Oh, that is nice. One of these things that pretty much is a button with better written on it. <laughs> it is a plugin called Gulfos by Sound Theory. Okay. The way to describe it is that it's basically kind of a little bit like a multiband compressor, mm -hmm. except that it's as if it's like infinitely many bands. So it's what I would call a spectral compressor. Okay. So if you look at the display, what you see is you see this kind of dancing, wiggly spectrum line mm -hmm. that's showing you the gain or cut it's applying at every different frequency across the spectrum the whole time. And it's a real-time thing. Right. So it basically responds to the stuff you put into it and is constantly EQing dynamically right across the board in a very complex and kind of psychoacoustically designed way. Crucially, not AI-driven. Oh. There's nothing neural network about it at all. Oh, wow. It's all research-driven. It's all about the way that the ear works and psychoacoustics and stuff. Does it exist on the blockchain? No, there's no blockchain involved, as far as I'm aware. My word! It's barely technology at this stage. It's already a unicorn. That's incredible. So <laughs> this sounds this sounds incredibly powerful. Yes. And my thought on being able to you know hold it in my hand is that I'd be... With great power comes great responsibility. Well, it would be similar to me being given the, the keys of a C-17 aircraft, one of these aircraft that can hold aircraft inside it. It's so huge. It's, on the one hand, a huge amount of potential. On the other hand, I know full well I'm not getting this off the ground. So my question is, how are the presets? Oh, but this is what's brilliant about it. You don't need the presets. Oh, no. You'd think that a spectral dynamic EQ like that would have a zillion parameters and it will be hopeless to use. Well, precisely, yeah. Pretty much, you've got three parameters. <gasps> you've got one called Tame that basically turns down any peaks that are masking things too much or sounding harsh. Okay. You've got a control called Recover that fades up things that are being masked, frequencies and details and things that are being masked. Mm -hmm. and so conceptually and intuitively, those are quite clear things yeah. to think about. Yeah. And then there's one called Bright. Is that the better button? Well, no, that the Bright just determines if it's adjusted the overall tonal content. You can just adjust the overall tonal content back to where it was. And those are basically the three controls I use most of the time. <laughs> There are some other controls as well, okay. but you can use the entire plugin just using those three. You can drive the whole vehicle with those three buttons. Yeah. That sounds amazing. And pretty much 
If you just add about 20% of recover and 10% of tame and slightly reduce the brightening, pretty much anything sounds better. <laughs> oh, my word. That's so exciting. Are you, are you writing on this anywhere with audio examples? Because I would love to hear some befores and afters. Well, funny you should mention that. In my June 2019 Cambridge MT Patrons podcast, actually, I'm feeling generous. I'll make it free so anyone who listens to this podcast can listen to it. I'll put a link in the uh, show notes. Okay, show notes. I'll, I'll be chasing. So you'll be able to just go into your podcast player and follow the link. I have a whole bunch of audio examples and talk about it in more depth. What's the name of it again? It's called Gulfos. It's the name of a waterfall, apparently. And, and the, the idea for it came from the idea of the pleasing sound of a waterfall, apparently. It's one of these things that developers say that makes absolutely no sense. It was like when Solemony, when they were doing Melodyne DNA, said, well, we came to the pioneering <laughs> polyphonic pitch creation thing by thinking, what's the sound of a stone? <laughs> Like, oh, <laughs> okay. Look, I'm, I'm glad you got where you got, but my word. Yeah. <laughs> what on earth are you talking about? So you've got those three things, and you can also use a couple of little frequency sliders to choose which bit of the spectrum it operates on. Okay. So that's quite handy, too. I do use those quite a lot to go, oh, well, I want this in the mid-range, or I want this at the high end, or I want this at the low end, or whatever. Mm. Increasingly, I'm just finding myself, once I've done a mix... And I'm pretty much happy the mix is finished. I load Gulfos into the master bus and the mix just gets a shade better. I was going to say, is is this just one of those master bus sweeteners? That's how I'm using it. I have used it a bit on like a solo vocal. If it's kind of the tones all over the place and there are bits that are piercing and bits that are moving away from the mic or whatever. Mm. But it's just so much now becoming a go-to. You know, you go as far as you can and put this on and you get this extra little bit. Oh. <laughs> It's like putting sugar on everything. It's just, uh, yeah. So lovely. That sounds really, really nice. Now, okay, so the one thing which could be said, mm. if not against, but just worth considering, it looks to be currently marketing at £150. Yes. Which, you know, is less than native instruments. And less than a bunch of other competing Betterizer-style plugins. Well, so I was going to say, what would you consider the, the competition for this plugin? Something like Zynaptics Intensity is a, an example of something like this that's rubbish. <laughs> 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 and not a patch on Gulfos. You've got cheaper things like the Baby Audio Smooth Operator that offers something like this, but that's rubbish too. <laughs> um, you've got a few things that offer this kind of stuff, but Gulfos just does something brilliant and i can't do what it does in any other way yeah you see that's the crucial thing for me you know i i do a lot of things from first principles and there are loads of plugins that i put in and i go oh that, that makes things sound a bit better and then i try and do the same thing with just my regular plugins and can do it with my regular plugins <laughs> and i go okay well i don't need that then i don't need this other thing cluttering up. And that was the way for example with zynaptics intensity okay you know if i did a bit of multiband subtle model band compression i got results that were just as good and i have not been able to get as good results as Gulfos. oh and Gulf just makes it so easy. Oh, this does. Okay, I, I cannot wait to hear the side-by-sides. And the only variation from mix to mix is like, well, how much recover and how much tame and how much bright do I use? Mm. And the bypass button is loudness match. <gasps> oh my word. That would be enough to be a headline. Nothing has loudness matched bypass buttons. Well, plenty of things do, but also plenty of things lie about it. Mm. <laughs> I mean, oh, God, I found loads. I mean, the Baby Audio Smooth Operator is a classic example. Heinously misrepresents its loudness function. And, mm. and uh, Isotope have been doing it for years, boosting their things a little bit relative to the bypass. 
But no, this does a pretty good loudness bypass. And so you just get the impression it is doing what it says it's doing. Oh. And you can rely on it just to make it that little bit better. <laughs> oh, that's so exciting. But there's something that worries me about it. Oh, really? And that is just inherently because I am of an analytical bent in my thought processes. Mm-hmm. It slightly worries me, a little bit like with AI stuff, where you train something and you have no idea what the algorithm is then in the end. It's like with Gulfos, I can see what it's doing because the display shows you what it's doing in real time. Mm-hmm. But I don't have that much of a conception of what is actually going on. Okay. It is a bit of a black box. And it makes me slightly worried that there might be side effects that I'm not aware of at some point that (laughs) I haven't yet cottoned on to. And if I knew exactly how it was working, Mm -hmm. I might be better clued up for the side effects, you know, the things that might be deleterious and that I haven't yet realised. All the things that you've made. You know, in 10 years' time, I'll look back on all my mixes from now and go, oh, God, (laughs) I was golfing everything to death. Oh, that's really funny. (laughs) I do kind of adjust the controls slightly gingerly and kind of split the difference a bit. And, you know, if if I put it up to where I think it should be, then I go, oh, no, I shouldn't use 30%. I'll, I'll bring it down a bit. <laughs> you know, just, just in case I'm missing that side effect that everyone's going to look at in the future and go, yeah. Gosh, that would be so funny. Gulfoss mug. Yeah, no, absolutely. Oh, given that it's sort of the last thing you put on before you head out, mm. you could almost get away with just bouncing two versions. <laughs> because, I, you know, I know this as well. I, there's a few of my mixes, which one day I should go back and fix, where Hiverb, the chain that I talked about earlier, I'll just put way too much of that on. Yes. Because, you know, when going back and forth on something, I'm so tired of listening to all yep. that same thing, but with like glittery sparkles on top. Yes. I, I will always prefer the glittery sparkles. But then you go back and it's like, why why is why is this twinkling so much? This doesn't need to twinkle. You eventually basically get a pudding bowl full of hundreds and thousands. No, exactly. Exactly. It is tipped all over. Um, whatever the song was. So I, I know your fear and I've been on the receiving end of like oh i just discovered about mid-sides processing when i did this yes yeah no, when, when the chorus comes it just snaps into both ears like an absolute monster which is something i'm still fairly guilty of i just i can't get enough yeah of that effect it's so fun yeah i mean i look back like five years or so and i think yeah I was boosting that upper octave of the frequency spectrum a bit much. (laughs) (laughs) There are a couple of mixes from that time where I I kind of wince slightly these days. Unfortunately, that is all we have time for this month. Uh, If you would like more of our patented Project Studio nonsense, then do head over to patreon.com slash Project Studio Tea Break. We've had, oh, we've been doing so much this month. We have a veneer of tech savviness. We have, uh, we talk about anti-capo technology. I do like these trips down memory lane. <laughs> they always take me a couple of seconds. And then I land and it makes me very, very happy. Um, thank you so very much for listening. If you would like um, to contact us via social media and establish a parasocial relationship with your heroes, we can be found on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash PSTB tweets and facebook.com forward slash PSTB books and we have an email we do indeed at teabreak at projectstudiotbreak.com uh, do you have anything to plug this month mike i will plug the now free episode of my cambridge mt patrons podcast that i'm going to put the link in the show notes that you can find all about my views my in-depth views about gulf Oss with lots of audio examples i am like a costa in an airport departures terminal annoyingly <laughs> plugless um <laughs> <laughs> nothing to shout out just now i was wondering how that one was going <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> what a great simile that was. I don't know if anyone who doesn't fly Ryanair as unfortunately frequently as I do <laughs> will quite know that pain. But gah, all it takes is one wall outlet to make my day and you can't even do that. No. Anyway, nothing to plug. You know what? I plug everyone listening to this having an excellent month. That's what I support. It's the summer. You should be able to have an excellent month. <laughs> well, no, you know what? I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I don't know what's happening in your life. I don't know what your circumstances are. Yes, yeah, true. And I, I, I don't think you should put pressure on yourself just because it's warm outside that you should. With news of all the heat waves. <laughs> yeah, maybe that wasn't the best choice. <laughs> right. And on that clunker of an ending, it's Tara Pets. <laughs> Tara! <Ta-ra! laughs>